Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I love that. Veronica's in the house. Woo! Glad you guys are here. And uh, so grateful to our faithful worship team, uh, our worship pastor and his wife and new little man are with us today. Welcome, John. Yes. The part of the prayer that I, I didn't get to is that the Lord would bless and keep him. That he would keep him from strangers' ways. That his name would be common name in the, to the glory of God, in the kingdom of God. So we're grateful for that. We miss our pastor. We have a faithful team, do we not? A worship team that leads us. It's amazing. So we're in week two of a series that we've called Until Everyone Knows. It began last week. Pastor Bobby uh, introduced us to the idea of the heart of God to teach us what the heart of God looks like. And, and one of the key things that he encouraged us to do is that this series and, and the 28 days of prayer, the call to prayer, is all about aligning our hearts with the heart of God. And so this prayer guide is designed to help each of us do just that. And so I want to encourage you, if you do not have one of these, would you raise your hand because we have folks in here in the building that can give you one of these. I just, here we've got one right down the front, Pat, over here. This young man doesn't have one, this young lady. Right here. Yeah, thank you. I, I just encourage you to go through this. And so... We're in day eight. Come join us. If you're, the, if you're the kind of person that has got to finish everything, you can go back and do days one through seven, okay? But if not, you can join us right here, right now, today. Because this guide is designed to teach us the heart of God, how to align our hearts with His. And today, we're going to talk about the heart of the giver. Now, before you tune me out, some of you may have just come, maybe for the first time you're visiting, you thought, I knew one day that preacher would get around to money, right? Well, if you'll bear with me for a little while, I believe I can show you through the Word of God the principles. There's another lady right there, Pat, in the back right here that doesn't have one. Thank you guys for joining us. I believe I can show you by the Word of God that it's not about money. It's not about money. I'm not here to talk to you today. The word giving is used but I'm here to talk to you about what the heart of the giver looks like in accordance with the Scripture. Pastor Bobby talked last week about the heart being a compass as well. That our compass needs to align with the Lord. And so I believe the church, our church has a heart as well, and our church has a compass. It was December of 2020, and we were in a little bit of a predicament, actually a lot of a predicament. For those of you that have been here a long time, you know that there's been several plans about what to do. Do we build here on this location? Do we remodel? Do we build a new facility? And then several years ago, the co-op, which is right next to us, and actually now this property, they came to us with an offer to buy this property. And this property has been included in what the city of Hutto 
calls a property improvement district, and this property is included in that. And so the co-op offered us an amount of money to sell and a gift, it wasn't a gift, but to include a piece of land out on North 1660. Well, as time went by, some of the provisions of that contract were not met. Our leadership believed that that contract was really no longer viable. And so and the contract had expired, and so we were without a contract. But something happened that we needed a compass heading. And here's what happened. This property improvement district has the ability to assess tax based on the value of a property. Have any of you received your property tax bills in the last week or so? All right. Well, guess what? <laughs> Once that's assessed, you got to pay. All right? I'm Captain Obvious here, right? So the city was meeting in December on December 17, 2020, to assess the property improvement district tax for this property, and it was to the tune of of upwards of $190,000. Let that sink in for a moment. So we were going, if they assessed the tax that night, we were going to be on the hook for hundred ninety grand, even though we didn't sell our property. So a representative of, the, of our elders council went to the city council that night, and they give you five minutes, aren't you? <laughs> five minutes is a short time for a preacher. <laughs> Dude, that would get a laugh right there. And this person just told the city the facts and circumstances. Look, we have a contract. We had a contract, but it's not, the terms aren't acceptable. And we're, we want to be good neighbors. We want to cooperate with a co-op, no pun intended, but we also have a fiduciary responsibility to this church to make good financial decisions so we don't burden us and future generations like John with a debt of burden of tax that's untenable. And so we asked the city, would you have patience with us as we move forward? And, and I asked for prayer. I said, uh, well, we asked for prayer. And so what happened was um, the the money guy, the, the, the Oklahoma phrase, hooking bull, does that make any sense for Texans? The guy that makes the decisions is a man named Matt Harrison. He happened to be watching that night on, on live stream. And the next day he called and changed the offer. And he made it one that we could live with, that was financially viable, and that would give us what we needed, also give them what they needed. And the Lord moved that compass himself. So today we're going to talk about the heart of the giver. What does that look like? How does the compass of your heart get moved? And so our passage will be found... In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll begin in verse 1, and I want to invite you in honor of, of the reading of God's Word. If you're able to stand as we read God's Word, we'll begin with verse 1. In this letter to, from Paul to the church at Corinth, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, 
not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So verse one, Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So you may ask, where is Macedonia in modern day geography? Well, it's Greece, particularly northern Greece. He says in verse two, for in a severe test of affliction, these churches, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Get this have overflowed, look at this next phrase, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So what he's saying is these believers in these churches in northern Macedonia, and most likely the key church he's talking about is the church at Philippi, although they were very poor, they've begun to demonstrate amazing generosity. And I love it that Paul uses the examples of churches that are poor in financial means to teach a church, Corinth, that was wealthy. Corinth was the intersection of the east and the west. The east and the west met there. It was a a city of high commerce and high trade. It was a wealthy city. This was a wealthy church. And Paul says, for they gave according to their means in the third verse, as I can testify, this church at Philippi was a partner with Paul for the remainder of all of his ministry. He says, I can testify to that. And they gave beyond their means of their own accord, begging us, don't miss that, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In other words, no one's twisting their arm to give. They were begging for the opportunity to participate. And then what's Paul talking about when he says the relief of the saints? What's that all about? Well, it seems that the church in Jerusalem, the first church, the church that was birthed on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached that amazing sermon when the Holy Spirit was given, the promised Holy Spirit, that church was in a dire situation. They'd fallen into extreme poverty. There's been a lot of conjectures as to why. Some have said there was a great famine in the land, and because of that famine, they were now stricken with poverty, and they were cut off from some of the help that they would have received from the temple. Most of those members of that church were Jewish, but because they were following Christ, they were cut off from from that help. Others say it was because of persecution. Some have said the church in Jerusalem just made poor financial decisions, and they're experiencing the result of those choices. It's all conjecture, 
We don't really know. But what we do know is this. The scripture says that there were churches, there were poor churches in the other regions of the Roman Empire that out of the gift of grace that they had experienced, they had decided to participate and help this church and become be generous with it. Look at verse 5. Paul says, and this, this giving that he's talking about, not as we expected. So Paul didn't even expect it from them. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Beloved, I don't want you to miss this. Look at this order. Paul's saying they, the churches in Greece, the believers in Greece, gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. Beloved church, please listen. Before God wants your money, before He wants my money or their money, do you know what He really wants most of all? He wants you. He wants you. The Scripture says they gave themselves to the Lord. They said, Lord, my life is yours. Everything I have, whether it be financial, emotional, spiritual, all that I have, I give to you. I willingly commit to you. And then Paul says, as a result of that spiritual commitment that they made, then by the will of God, they began to give generously. It was an outgrowth of that decision. Beloved, please listen. As we journey through this series, this vision, until everyone knows, as we go through 28 days of prayer together, our desire, your past, our pastor's desire, my desire, our staff, our elders, our desire is this, that you would give yourself completely to the Lord. Completely. That you would align your heart with the heart of God before anything else. The third day of the prayer guide this week, the scripture tells the story of when Moses went outside. He would go outside the the meeting, the, the camp. He would go outside where the camp was and he set up a tent of meeting that scripture calls it and he would meet with the Lord there. And the scripture says that when he left the camp where they all lived to go outside, said the people would stand up, they would worship, they would wait and see what God was going to do. And there were moments when the Shekinah glory, the the glory of God fell on that tent and Moses met with God. But I want you to notice this. He was outside the camp. He was outside what one author calls the tyranny of the urgent. When we're inside the camp, when we're in our lives, our daily lives, and we have to pay bills and we have to make money, and you know what I'm talking about, the tyranny of the urgent? Does that make sense to anybody? Right? We're there. I mean, we can't escape that and we understand that. But what Moses did, the example of Scripture, is he got away from that 
and went out to meet the Lord, to give himself to him. And it says that the Lord met him face to face. And don't miss this church. He called him his friend. Do you know that you can have a relationship where the Lord calls you his friend? Where you can meet with him face to face? I want to encourage you on these remaining days of this call to prayer that you would get outside your camp and you would anticipate and eagerly await the Lord to speak to you, to meet with you, to call you his friend. Verse 6, Paul says, Accordingly, we urge Titus, this is one of Paul's helpers, one of his friends, his co-laborers, that as he had started, Titus should complete among you this act of grace, Paul calls it. Now this is a key indicator in this passage. Those words, act of grace. It means this. This giving that they were doing, it wasn't a duty. It wasn't an obligation. It wasn't something that they just had to buckle down and do. Another check the box. No, this was a response. Their giving was a response to the work of grace that they had experienced in their hearts. And then verse 7, is it's the theme verse for today. Paul says this to the church at Corinth, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel. And if you can, circle that word. See if you can excel. See that you excel in this act of grace also. This teaches us two things about the heart of the giver. First, is that excellence should characterize every dimension of spiritual life in the heart of the giver. Paul's saying, look, you have faith. You may have faith of a grain of a mustard seed, and that's great. But pray that your faith would increase, that you would excel in the faith. You may be able to speak in an amazing way on behalf of the Lord. Well, that's good. But ask Him for more in that regard, more in that gifting. You may have knowledge. You may be growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but there's always more. There's a mark of excellence, Paul's saying. And in earnestness and zeal, excel. And then the last thing before this grace of giving, he says, excel in love also. I love it that what the Lord teaches us about how we'll be known as disciples. Do you remember what he said? We'll be known by our great theology, (laughs) by the degrees, the letters we have after our name. No, no, he said, how you're going to be known is by your love for one another. He's calling us. The heart of a giver will be one that's characterized by excellence in love. So do you see where the Apostle Paul is going? 
There's a call in Scripture to mature. There's a call to excellence. There's a call to pursue that excellence and to pursue it because of the grace-based things that Christ has done for us. But the result of that will be this. And this is the second thing. That we should excel in the grace of giving. Paul saying we ought to excel in faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, love, but also giving. You guys are kind of quiet today. You should wonder, I knew that preacher get around to money right now. Here it is, right? <laughs> it's what the Scripture says. There's two other versions of the Bible I want to call your attention to about this verse. It's first is NIV 84, and I love this version. It's saying, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And then the New Living Translation, which is one that I understand and I love, it, it goes like this, since you excel in so many ways. He's telling the church at Corinth, they excel in so many things. They have gifted speakers. They have great knowledge. They have enthusiasm. They have love. But I want you to excel, Corinth, in this gracious act of giving. You see, church, I believe today's message can be transformative. Transformative if this, if we grasp this principle that the Lord desires before he wants anything else from you, what he wants is for you to give yourself to him. And after that happens, after that decision, after that moment, and by the way, that's a day-to-day -day journey. It's a day-to-day -day journey. And after that, after you settle the first things first, what happens in that is that he's calling us to excel in all things, including giving as we mature towards full stature in Christ. I wish today that every one of us, every one of us in this room, whether you're like me and uh, any fourth quarter, final chapters, all those cliches apply. Whether you're like me, you're in the final seasons of your life, or maybe your life is beginning. Are you in the middle? Wherever you are, I wish that all of us could grasp this principle that the heart of the giver is one that excels in every dimension of life including excellence in the grace of giving. This is a principle, church, please listen. This is a principle that if you get this right, it will put you on a path to spiritual maturity, to spiritual growth, to spiritual excellence that nothing else So what does excellence in giving look like? Well, Paul puts it this way in another passage in the later chapter of this very letter in, in, in chapter 9. He says this, the point is this, he's still talking about this offering for the saints in Jerusalem. 
The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. There it is again. Not because someone's twisting your arm. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God, who is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. There's three principles I want us to see in this particular passage. Here's the first one, that you should give generously. Paul uses the word bountifully. You should give generously. Here's the second one. You should give voluntarily. Paul says not reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't give because someone's twisting your arm or you feel obligated, compelled. No, this should be an outflowing as we saw in the churches in Philippi. This should be an outflowing, an eagerness to participate because they had given themselves to the Lord and they'd experienced the grace of God. Give voluntarily. The third is that we should give cheerfully. Not with a sour face. Did I get an amen, Veronica? Amen. Right? Like, man, I got to do this today. No. God does love a cheerful giver. That's the words of the Lord, not mine. Four more principles quickly from another passage. An earlier letter that the apostle writes to that same church. This is the beginning of the collection of saints. It's found in 1 Corinthians 16. It'll be on your screen. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, he's talking about that same collection for the church in Jerusalem. As I direct the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. And here's what he's saying to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So what have we already learned about what excelling in the gift of grace looks like? Well, we've learned that we should be giving generously. We should be giving voluntarily. We should be giving cheerfully. Here's a few more things we find from this passage about what giving looks like. What spiritual excellence in the heart of a giver looks like. Here's the first one. You should give regularly. He says when you come together on the first day of the week, it means whenever you come to worship, it ought to be this habit. A habit, a regular habit that you have. Weekly, monthly, whatever God leads. I'm not going to hold you to some particular schedule. You'll know. If you've given yourself to the Lord, you'll know. The second thing we see in this is that you should give purposefully. He says each of you is to put something aside and store it up. You don't just pick out what's in your pocket that day and throw it in the plate. That's okay. But no, there needs to be a purposeful intent on what you're doing with your giving, a long-range purpose. It's fine if you do that. God may prompt you to do that. I'm not 
precluding that. But the purposeful nature in the heart of a giver in terms of giving is should be there. And then the third is that you should give proportionately. In other words, as God prospers you maybe up here, then you give proportionally up here. Maybe you're here. You give proportionally to that. I love the third and fourth verses of this passage. Paul's saying, look, I'm not going to administer this collection, this gift on my own. I'm going to ask you, church at Corinth, to vouch for some folks, to write a letter vouching for them. And I will take this letter if it seems wise for me to go to Jerusalem and I'll take them with me. And by the way, he did. He did just that. He accompanied them to Jerusalem with this gift. And he also is saying in that fourth verse that he's telling the Corinthian church that their gift will be administered with good oversight and accountability. And may I say to you, church, that the gifts that come into these doors to this place are administered with good oversight and great accountability. Amen? Amen. So do you see the principles? We give generously. We give voluntarily. We give cheerfully. We give regularly. We give purposefully. We give proportionately. Here's the last thing. Excellence in giving begins with the tithe. It's an Old Testament concept. Abraham is the first example we had. He gave a tenth of what he had. It continued through all the Old Testament. Went to the book of Malachi. It was a Jewish, common Jewish practice. And I want to ask you today, have you had an example in your own life about a giver who's faithful with the tithe? Maybe you've had, maybe you haven't. I've sure had one. It was Becky's daddy, my wife's daddy. He's 101. It's amazing. Still with us. I was at his home a few weeks ago. And as I went up, I mean, he's always been a faithful giver. As I went up on his porch, because he's old school, he sends out mail, right? For you guys who are younger, it's an envelope and you put a postage stamp <laughs> on it. You know, it's not Venmo or anything. You write a check. <laughs> on his porch, where his mailbox is, he had a clothespin, his tithe check to his church. Now, he's unable to go because physical, uh, it precludes him from going. But he's never stopped with his tithe. You see, this is the bottom of your notes, spiritual excellence in the heart of a giver. That spiritual excellence in giving honors God, first of all. It honors God. And boy, does it inspire people. And let me ask you, don't, don't think that I'm talking about perfection in this. I, I don't, I'm not here this morning to either twist your arm or to lay some condemnation on you for something you're not doing. That's the Lord's business. This is an intimate act of worship between you and God. 
So if you're looking for perfection or if I'm saying to you, if you think I'm saying to you that you need to be perfect in every way of this, please don't. That adds a burden to you that's, that can be crushing. Because what I'm saying to you about giving is this is an opportunity for you to meet with the Lord like Moses did and see what he's saying. My prayer is that you move towards wholehearted, full devotion in the pursuit of spiritual excellence in all areas, including giving because it's an act of grace. That's what the Apostle Paul calls it. It's an act of grace. It's for the glory of God and it's for your great good. So so what does spiritual excellence in giving really look like? We've talked about some principles, but like, what does it look like as some examples? And it'll look different in the life of each one of us. But I'm convinced that as we give our heart as we commit everything we have to the Lord, we're going to be see, we'll see examples of what it looks like. One example that I was reminded of this week was the inspiring example of David Green. David and his wife are the founders of Hobby Lobby. There was an article in Fox News, the 21st, which was what, a couple days ago. And here's the headline. The Fox News headline from about David Green. My decision to give away ownership of Hobby Lobby, colon, I chose God. Or in this day of cancel culture. <laughs> so here's what happened. This article talks about the story of how Hobby Lobby began. He, his wife, Barbara, took a $600, out of $600 loan years ago and started this company. Now, they didn't follow the Dave Ramsey principles, right? (laughs) But he talked about how in the beginning, things were really great. In fact, he felt, he, David Green, like, I've got the Midas touch. Everything I'm touching is turned into gold. Profits are growing. And then, they had some problems. Has anybody ever had any problems in their financial life? (laughs) He had some problems. In the 80s, things were dire. So he did like Moses. He got outside of this camp of meeting. He got outside of the meeting with the accountants. Boy, watch them. That should be a joke. You guys don't get it, right? (laughs) Lawyers. He got outside the camp. He met with God, he and his wife. And God met them and spoke to them and, and gave them some direction on what they were to do. In fact, he learned from the scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 7 that the ability to make money doesn't come from your own ingenuity, your own Midas touch, your own gift of administration. No, it comes from God. That's what the scripture says. He learned that. He understood that principle. He applied it to his life. One of the practical things he did is he closed their stores on Sunday. And what he saw, even before that, is Sunday was their most profitable day. And so he wrestled with God about that. Lord, Lord spoke to him in that tent of meeting and said, close the door. Well, the rest is history. And after that time, they, they gave, Hobby Lobby has given away over $500 million 
to various churches' causes. In fact, one of the things they commonly do that really is not very, very well known, but if there's a church that's vacant, they'll buy that vacant church and they will give it to a church plan. And I shared this with James during the sermon. Lord, would you give us a, a building in Taylor by God's grace? Amen? Would you give us a building here? I mean, I don't know. We may have a Cyrus in the room, right? He'll pay for it. I don't know what God's going to do. But he did that. And then as they're getting older, well-meaning lawyers and accountants, and I said this in the second sermon. This is why i got to stick with the script. I said, well-meaning lawyers, that's an oxymoron. And I know I'm going to be in trouble for that. I'm including accountants in there too, is all right? But they begin to advise him. Like, here's a way of succession that you can take your ownership of your company and you can transfer it to your kids. You can transfer it to your grandkids. We can try to minimize the tax burden. But he and his wife began to pray. And here was their conclusion. Why would I ruin my kid's life or my grandkids? And so the Lord led them to give it away. They no longer own Hobby Lobby. Here's the question he asked in this article. And beloved church, this is the question for us today in this season of prayer, in this vision that the Lord has given us, in the compass heading that He's given us to move from this building to a new location. Here's the vision for the heart of the giver, and it's this. Here's the question. Are you an owner? Or are you a steward? Let's pray. Lord, thank You for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the truth of your word. And my prayer for every man and woman and young adult and child in this room right now is that they would learn the principle, they would apply the principle of giving themselves completely to you. Lord, that's the call here today. This is not about money. It's not about any of that. It's about a renewal, a revival, uh, you calling the people you love to yourself. Lord, may they learn that today. May they apply it in their lives. In the name of Jesus. Amen. There's many things I love about our Pastor Trey. One of them is that several months ago, he began to talk about the Lord's table and how we should put it, practice this, celebrate this in a maybe more prominent fashion. And it, it ignited a fire in me, a little fire that's been kind of grown into a sort of a raging force fire, if you will, in my heart. Because I believe that in the early church for the first thousand years, this was the center of the worship. It was the Lord's table. It wasn't the pulpit. It was the Lord's table. And Paul says to us that when we come here today, and this is what I want you to remember as you come and take the elements, the symbol of his body and his blood. This is what I want you to remember. This is a participation in the body of Christ and in his blood. It's a participation. So I'm going to invite you to come and receive these elements. And then in a few moments, we'll celebrate them together. Please come.
My wife Becky's older brother was a member of the Wichita State football team. And in 1970, they were, October 2nd, they were traveling to an away game on an airplane and the plane crashed just outside of the Eisenhower Tunnel in Colorado. And almost all of the, the team was killed. It was a devastating time and obviously her daddy's life. I spoke about him, Milton, 101 years old. In fact, he shared often through the years that he lost his first wife, which was terrible, but he said, I think about my son every day. And so about, I think it's been about four years ago now, Becky and I, my wife and I, wanted to hike up to the crash site while we were still able <laughs> to pay our respects because there was someone, and we're not sure who it was, whether there were a couple of his teammates that survived. Someone had hauled up a granite headstone with Stephen's name on it, his name was Stephen, and placed it at the crash site. So we wanted to, to go see that, to pay our respects, also to place rocks upon the, this tombstone. And I asked the family members to give me a rock, but I told them, I said, can you make it small? Because <laughs> I'm going to have to hike up, right? So here's what her daddy put on his rock. He put John 3.16, Jesus saves. All of us know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He what? Gave. Gave His only Son. We've talked about the heart of a giver today. Has there ever been a more amazing gift in the history of mankind? Nothing compares. So today as we participate in the symbol of His body, as you take it, will you remember that it was crushed and broken for you? Take and eat. And then Jesus held up the cup. He said, this is My blood which is shed for you for payment of all your sin. Take and drink. Let's worship together. Our theme verse for this series, for this time, is found in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. And, and uh, I invite you to memorize this with me. I tried to quote it in second service and flubbed it. And I said I gave myself a grade of F. But I, I invite you to memorize it because, first of all, because of the power of the Word of God. But it captures, it captures what I believe the Lord is doing among us, what the what the compass heading is for our church, and it's this. And this is our prayer. This, is, this has been our pastor's prayer, I think most of his ministry. For the earth, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's our prayer. Pray today that you be blessed. Just know that you're loved. And we'll be here, uh, I'll be here, there'll be other elders uh, to, to pray with you, to rejoice with you, to weep with you. Uh, we love you. God bless you. You're dismissed.